This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Health and Living with me, Lim Su An. The rights and welfare of persons living with disabilities, or often referred to as the OKU community here in Malaysia, have long been sidelined in Malaysian politics and policies. So as GE15 beckons and calls for reforms intensify um, ahead of the next government being formed, what are the political parties and candidates offering to empower and support the OKU community without being tokenistic about it? And what reforms are solid needed two current policies that we have. So joining me to discuss more about today's topic are Yana Karim, co-founder of Bole Space as well as Anit Randawa, member of OKU Rights Matter. Thank you so much ladies for joining me today. Thank you for having us. I'll start with you Yana, you know, and, and to get to know both of you better as well as the groups that you represent. Um, Yana, tell us a bit about Bole Space. Yeah, Bole Space is a collective um, that was originally just a group of friends um, who happened to be disabled and talking about the same similar lived experiences on Twitter. Uh, during the first movement control order, we noticed that a lot of discussions online uh, were excluding us from, um, you know, for example, the SOPs. Um, only uh, one only one person per household can go out at one time. That's not... Um, Okay, you inclusive, you have our needs. Some of us uh, might need care partners and all that. So we realized that we need to talk about it. And that's how Buddhist Space started. It was originally a collective. Mm-hmm. And then last year, we uh, officially registered and we are now running as a social enterprise. Hmm. And what about you, Anit? You know, I know you wear many hats um, on top of being a lawyer yourself. You're, you are, as I mentioned, a member of OKU Rights Matter. You're also part of the Harapan OKU Law Reform Group. Maybe you can tell me a bit about both those organisations. Um, okay, so Harapan OKU Law Reform Group um, evolved. Um, I need to acknowledge the work of Associate Professor Dr. Naziati Mohamad Yaakob, who a couple of years ago, about four or five years ago, decided that the OKUs uh, were speaking in silo. Mm-hmm. They were not speaking in one voice. So what she did was she brought a lot of them together and said, listen, let's do something about it. And then she said, we need some lawyers on board. So together with the late James Lau, who had a rare disease called SMA, spinal muscle atrophy, uh, he came on board together with uh, a few of us other lawyers and and the OKU suddenly said, oh, this is the first time we're having lawyers on board. So we started saying, listen, every time anything happens, let's go back to the law. What, what does the law provide? Do you have rights? And then um, through those discussions, we discovered that everything in Malaysia is very welfare-based, not rights-based. And we said, okay, let's go back. Let's look at the law. We realized um, the ACTA OKU or PWD Act 2008 was, well, passed before uh, Malaysia ratified the UN CRPD. Mm-hmm. And so it evolved into a group discussion. And then when COVID hit, this um, small group, uh, we used to meet and we still do uh, most Fridays. And we started looking at the Act line by line and saying, now, what do we want improved about it? So that's how the small group called Harapan OKU Law Reform um, came about and the group members are Wong Yun Long who is also a Majlis OKU member mm-hmm. and he's a blind advocate 
And then there's San Yunhua. Mm -hmm. um, she is retired from the UN. There is Mira Samantar, who is a very prominent uh, women's rights activist as well. And uh, Mary Chen, uh, head of Challenges Foundation. And then the two lawyers there were Sangeet Cordio and myself. Mm. And, you know, the name might sort of raise a few eyebrows, but are you sort of uh, affiliated politically? Oh, absolutely not. We're very apolitical. <laughs> we just want to improve the law, amend the law, uh, make sure the law is in line with our international obligations under the UN Convention. And and the rights of persons with disabilities are, are upheld. Um, I don't know whether you, you realise how much they are isolated um, they, there has to be a movement to include them, to give them accessibility. I speak on a legal perspective, but I think Yana will be able to tell you some of those challenges because when you are disabled, there's a lot of discrimination, there's mm -hmm. a lot of um, segregation, there's lack of inclusion. And, and I remember James Lau telling us this and saying, you know, I cannot go to a cinema the same way you do. Mm -hmm. There are two OKU seats, which are right at the back. And the experience of going to a cinema is together with your friends, together with your family. But if I am seated right at the back on the OKU seat, I cannot have family members surrounding me. I'm isolated even in a cinema. And then that hit me really hard. And I thought, oh gosh, um, you know, that's not inclusive. That's not enjoying the social a part of um, life uh, on an equal basis with others. So, um, Yana, would you like to add on to this? Yeah, um, um, I was in the Urban Forum recently. Um, one of the talk was about uh, walkable cities, which is, um, well, I, I can't really walk much. Uh, I use a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. So, I asked them to change it to accessible cities. But, um, so basically, uh, during the forum, I asked everyone there um, who were non-disabled um, whether if they go to a new place, what would they want to find out? So the general answer is, what's the good food that they can get? Mm -hmm. But for me, what I would want to know is whether the new place that I'm going to, whether it's accessible, whether there's a ramp, whether there's OKU toilet, whether the OKU toilet have proper grab bars, whether I can actually close the toilet door. So that's just the minimum barrier that I can talk about. There's a lot more barriers even in the Akta OKU. But I think I can let uh, I need to talk about it later. Mm. And I want to dive into the 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 impact of all these lack of accessibility, um, lack of protections as well. Um, a bit later on. But first, I need you know let's sort of look at the legal from the legal perspective, right? We have the Persons with Disabilities Act two thousand eight. Malaysia has also been a signatory of the UN Convention on the Rights of Pe Persons with Disabilities since twenty ten. So it's been twelve years. Um, but we have reservations to the CRPD. And when we look at our federal constitution, um, we have an article on equality, Article 8.2, but it does not include disability when you look at the non-discrimination aspects. So with those in mind, right, what is the state of rights and inclusion of persons with disabilities in Malaysia? So the Akta OKU um, has no bite. Mm -hmm. It is a declaration of uh, rights of persons with disabilities in Malaysia. 
but it does not have any redress mechanisms. Well, Article 8.2 doesn't include the word disability. Um, so, you know, there is no overriding right in the constitution of the disabled. So this act is the only sort of legal document that we have that sets out the rights of the persons, but it doesn't set out what the, what the disabled person can do if their rights are not respected. So if, uh, for example, if there's no OKU parking lots mm -hmm. and a building is not accessible, right, um, what can the person do? It's not set out in the Act. It doesn't say, the Act doesn't also say uh, what a person can do if a child who is disabled is not allowed uh, into school or is discriminated in school. The Act says that education should be inclusive and you should give reasonable accommodation, Section 28 of the Act says that, um, for education. But that reasonable accommodation only appears for that one section on education. Whereas disabled people um, require, PWDs require reasonable accommodation in many other areas. They require it in employment, they require it in healthcare. Um, even when it comes to accessing parks and toilets, you need extra ramps. Um, and I, I believe Yana will also resonate that half the time, all these ramps and parks are uh, where there is excess or at least excess provided, are sometimes used by motorcyclists to park their motorcycles. Mm -hmm. um, stalls are set up um, to sell their wares. Um, you know, the blind have tactile surfaces, and even those are not respected for that purpose. But if someone doesn't respect it, someone sets up a stall, what do you do? You know, you, you complain, but there's no legal redress, mm. Right. And again, um, if you want to take up something to court, things are expensive, right? You you need to go and uh, engage a lawyer. It, it becomes litigious. And how many PWDs actually have the strength and the will and the means to do this? So I think with the PWD Act, a lot needs to be done to give them rights of redress, to give them... Um, a mechanism to enforce and to give them a place to go to to share their grievances so that so society can be more inclusive. Yana, what do you make of our policies and approach towards, you know, the rights and inclusions of persons with disabilities? You know, do you think that we are proactive or is it more of an afterthought? Well, um, I would say that uh, a continuation from what Anit said, uh, if we want to go to court, can the PWD even go to court? Mm. Um, can we even access um, the courts? And if uh, a person needs a BIM interpreter uh, or Bahasa Syariah Malaysia interpreter, would he or she be able to um, get the service for free? At the moment, most of the time, they need to hire and pay out of their own pockets. And that's a, a another level of barrier. Mm -hmm. And for the policies right now, I'm, uh, I was disabled about 10 years ago. At that time, I thought that, oh, there's an OKU act. Mm -hmm. It must be, um, must be good lah for Malaysian OKUs, right? But um, when I became disabled and then um, I had um, access barriers, even at public hospitals that you thought would be accessible, have proper rooms. But um, um, the reality is very much different mm -hmm. um, than what 
was represented in the news in um, what we thought as um, enough protection, right? So we respect lived experiences, um, even from uh, OKUs that are not educated because usually they are not educated because there were barriers for them to access education itself, right? Like, um, for example, the OKU Act, um, sections 41 and 42, those particular sections actually um, provide protection for the government and public officials from um, from us suing them. So, mm. uh, so that's why um, certain public officers, if they are not um, access, they are not using the universal design, if they are not built uh, with accessibility in mind for OKUs, if we can't access, we can't do anything. Most of the time, what we we can do, if we have um, the enough followers, if we have enough strength to go public about it, we will viral it out. Mm. But sometimes when it becomes viral, people will be like saying, um, why are you not bersyukur with what you get? Mm-hmm. You know, so that's another thing that's a barrier for us to be, to be, to join the communities, the stigma of what people think. Um, non-disabled um, have um, the perception that we are weak, that we um, should stay at home, um, some of the comments during MCOs um, were very um, ableist. Um, so we know that there's stigma among people uh, and not just among um, the public. If we have um, the uh, government officers, uh, for example, we have yet to reach 1% OKU public servants. Why is that happening? My answer is stigma. So they are not doing enough to include us. If they exclude us from decision-making processes, if we are just um, like they have this my step, right? My step is actually a contract basis. So so it's like even if they fulfill 1%, mm-hmm. on my step is contract basis, which is not um, what we want for OKUs and what was promised by the policy itself is a very long process that should have been started way, way back when Akta OQ started, mm-hmm. you know, for 2008. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, for example, if you look at JKM website, mm-hmm. um, so uh, the JKM website for OQs, uh, there's this uh, website called My Dafta OQ. It was introduced during the first PKP when um, people were having access problems to, you know, we were not allowed to go out, right? Mm-hmm. So um, that particular website is not following the proper web accessibility guidelines. Yeah, so our blind can't access that. Even government hospitals and clinics, right, they barely have grants that I can use on my own. Um, there's a, a, the gradient should be 1 to 12. Uh, if it's 1 to 12, I can go up and down on my own. Um, I use a, a manual wheelchair. Mm-hmm. But the current... Um, Current rams that I see that I use uh, near my home, um, there's a polyclinic, mm-hmm. uh, a government poly- polyclinic. That ramp is like um, totally uh, needs someone to push on the back. And that's not what we want. Uh, we should be able to live independently. And come on, government hospitals should be inclusive. Why is it not? So, yeah. Um, and uh, that's another example mm-hmm. in... 
So in Hospital Melaka, mm -hmm. there's a rehab clinic where most of the patients are physically disabled, right? And mm -hmm. they are going through rehabilitation. So um, there's no OKU toilet. Oh, wow. No OKU toilet. And we have to use the staff toilet at the nearby ward. But there are no grab bars at the WC. It amazes me because we, we can't do anything about it. If we complain, they will say, oh, they have no funding. They did, uh, the staff did complain and the answer was no funding. So if the answer is no funding, what can we do after that? We don't know. Mm, a lot and of the it... ACTA isn't providing protection for us. Mm, a lot of it boils back down to policies, right? There's only so much that, I guess, individual staff can do. But if you don't have sort of that top-down directives or policies that we need to do better, then how are we going to implement this nationwide? Because it shouldn't be, um, like you said, Yana, it shouldn't be a situation where someone has to make something go viral. We have policies, laws in place so that um, people can seek redress if they need to so that, you know, Things like this don't happen in the first place where um, persons with disabilities can't access healthcare facilities, for example, right? That's, I think, a very glaring example. Um, let's go for a quick break. And when we come back, you know, we'll dive a bit more into the politics side of things, um, which is what everyone is talking about. I'm speaking today to Yana Karim, co-founder of Bully Space, as well as Anit Korandawa, a member of OKU Rights Matter and Harapan OKU Law Reform Group. And we are discussing um, the inclusion of um, policies relating to persons with disabilities in the lead up to GE15 and beyond. We'll be right back on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, Lim Su An. On the show with me today are Yana Karim, co-founder of Bole Space, as well as Anit Korandawa, a member of OKU Rights Matter. And we are discussing um, policies for um, policies to support and to empower persons with disabilities in the lead up to GE15 and beyond. Um, before the break, both Yana and Anit were giving us some background to um, their respective organizations and more importantly, what the current situation is like for persons with disabilities in Malaysia, the just a glimpse into some of the challenges that um, people with disabilities face in doing simple things, going to the clinic, going to the movies, um, things that I think a lot of us do take for granted. Um, if we now turn more into politics, right? I know I've seen some discussions about the importance of um, inclusion of um, the OKU community in the electoral process. Um, maybe I'll ask you, Yana, you know, have you seen examples or have you experienced how persons with disabilities Disabilities are disenfranchised when it comes to voting. Yeah, a lot of us can't vote mm -hmm. and we can't do anything about it. Um, there were engagements with Berse and they were trying to understand how we can make elections more inclusive. But um, the only suggestions that I believe were implemented um, was um, putting all registered OKUs into Saluran Satu and that's it. Mm. That's not enough. That's not enough. Uh, all Saluran Satus at the ground level, are there, near, uh, are there OK toilets nearby? Are there BIM interpreters uh, among the SPR officials? Um, and are there like, um, calm, calm rooms for people with anxiety or autism who need you know, like a break mm -hmm. from the crowds, right? And even schools are not accessible now. Mm -hmm. So if... There's a lot that people can do with just, you know, having schools accessible will mean that kids with disabilities can go to school. 
kids who had who fell and maybe break um, the legs can still go to school. There's an OK toilet. There are ramps. There are proper. They can access all the facilities. Then teachers with disabilities can also teach there. Um, then later, if they need to be the school need to be used for uh, election, then everyone can go to election. Mm-hmm. Can vote without um, worrying whether the polling station is accessible, um, including when it's the school is being used as PPS, pusat pemindahan sementara, right? If schools are in, uh, are designed with universal design from the beginning, everyone will benefit. So there's this saying among the OKU community, is saying that um, if you design with OKU or PWDs in mind. Everyone will be included. Everyone will benefit. And then um, going back to about the election process, right? Whenever they put trauma on, mm-hmm. there's no BIM interpreter. So how do our deaf understand what's going on, right? Um, and even if you add uh, captions in short videos, that will benefit a lot more people, not just the deaf community. Um, it will also help people, you know, sitting in a crowded place to read. Uh, what's what's happening? What what's being said? Mm-hmm. Um, and people with uh, hard of hearing can mm-hmm. also understand. So um, they should talk to us and understand that our vote also counts. We are also Malaysians. I mean, SPR should do a lot more than just uh, putting us into Salawan Satu. Um, I have a friend who won't be able to go to vote mm-hmm. because she is bedbound and she would normally go to vote with her father, but her father will be on duty on that day. And she was asking, can I vote via post? And the answer is no, because we can't. Why are our needs not respected? Hmm. We should be included. Hmm. Now, interestingly, I think um, in in this particular elections, you know, we saw we we are seeing quite a lot of um, talk and and discussion about the um, one of the candidates under a PH ticket, and that's Dr. Noraisha Maidin because she's noticeably the only um, person with disability candidate for GE fifteen. Um, at the moment, and this is out of 945 candidates nationwide. What what do you make of this, Yana? You know, do you think that this is sort of a bit more of a tokenistic move, I guess, on the part of political parties. And and how have what have you seen in terms of public perception with um, Dr. Noraisha contesting? Dr. Noraisha is the first born disabled PWD candidate. Um, and the first PWD candidate is the late Kapal Singh. Mm-hmm. It's just that um, it's, it will be interesting to see because she is uh, new in the political scene, right? And PH is fielding her in Putrajaya, mm-hmm. the seat that PH has never won. I'm not a political analyst, mm-hmm. um, but I wonder what made PH feel her in Putrajaya where the PWD candidate can't even access their operations room. And from the perspective of the public, um, right now it seems that everyone is... Um, uh, how do you say it, positive about it mm-hmm. and accepting her as part of the need. Um, but we see there are barriers for her and she can't... Um, politicians call it walkabouts, right? She's not walking about. <laughs> She's wheeling about, mm-hmm. right? And there are places that she can't access. 
like just her officials group she kind of says her officials group like this is our first candidate who is new to the political scene like previously was Kapal um, won his re-election twice mm-hmm. after the accident that disabled him what was the pub, uh, perception for the public then was different so we are still trying to understand and learn from um, uh, Dr. Noaisha's candidacy so I can't really <laughs> say until the end of you know, until we see. But um, best of luck to her and her team. I think, Yana, what this shows is um, the fact that even a PWD can be included in political, um, live political scenario and in the political scene in Malaysia. Uh, To me, it's of extreme significance on that level. And I think um, um, the late Karpal Singh broke many, many... um, barriers. Um, Suddenly, parliament had to be uh, wheelchair accessible. Courts needed to be wheelchair accessible to allow him to carry on. Mm -hmm. So the same way when you have a political candidate, um, it will will have a knock-on effect. You're going to see this political candidate uh, who is on a wheelchair probably show up what is not accessible, what is not friendly towards the OKUs and and hopefully there's a little bit more awareness because until it happens or it's illustrated by a public figure, I think most Malaysians are quite in a cocoon. They don't realise unless it, it hits home. And a lot of times it hits home only when someone around them mm. faces this issue. And then they see how it impacts them. Absolutely. So... Similarly, you have not just the physically disabled, like the blind, the deaf, um, and um, and those on a wheelchair. You have those with rare diseases. You have those who have um, learning difficulties. You mm. have those with autism. You now have an, inc- uh, an aging population in Malaysia. You have those with dementia and Alzheimer's, and they lack mental capacity, right? Um, so other than the PWD Act, which doesn't deal with with this, we we also would need in Malaysia, I think, a Mental Capacity Act Mm -hmm. um, that allows you to plan. Um, Singapore has it. um, The UK has it. They allow you to plan. So the same way, like you can leave a will and decide what's going to happen when you pass away Mm -hmm. um, to your assets. Um, With a Mental Capacity Act, there would be a provision to leave a lasting power of attorney that the minute you lack mental capacity, you can appoint someone to take over your finances, to take care, uh, take over your health decisions, to take over many things that you take for granted that you would be able to do, um, to even manage your pension, to manage your banking, um, to manage uh, the house. Um, you know, it, it, it hits and it hits very suddenly. So you you have that aspect as well. And you have those who even are in severe depression, who who lack capacity for a while. You've seen that in COVID. You've seen that uh, when someone has had to be ventilated because of um, stage four or stage five COVID and they lack the mental capacity for a while. Mm -hmm. So if we had that kind of act, um, there would be somebody who would be able to take over Mm. for that period of time. Um, so there is a lot to be done legislatively, um, not just to include them in political life, but to show that in Malaysia we we need law reform. 
um, I, I think all the political parties need to give some thought and some commitment to towards making Malaysia a more inclusive society and not leaving anybody behind. Hmm. So on that note, um, Anit, you know, the three main, I guess, political coalitions have released their manifestos um, to um, Pakatan Harapan, Perikatan National and Barisan National all to some extent have mentioned persons with disabilities and policies related to that in their manifestos to varying degrees, um, some more comprehensive than others. Were there any particular provisions that stood out to you? You know, Are they realistic or significant promises? Actually, it's very difficult to tell because it's a manifesto. It is. Uh, a lot of times, a manifesto doesn't translate to, um, actual, policies. to actual policies, to actual action, mm-hmm. right? So it's a, it's a wait and see. In, in my view, um, the BN manifesto has dealt with it on a very welfare base, not a rights-based uh, approach. Mm. Uh, the PH1 is slightly more rights-based um, because I think they have said that they would set up an agency to deal with OKUs as well as a commissioner under Suhakam um, to, uh, on PWD rights um, and, and dealt with accessibility. PN is in between the mm-hmm. two. On a legal perspective, that's how I see it. Mm-hmm. Nobody has actually said we're going to commit ourselves to law reform, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is ultimately the best way of uh, ensuring that rights of any PWD are enshrined um, Yana, on a PWD basis, how, how do you see it? Yeah, uh, I agree that none of the three coalitions actually said, uh, specifically said that um, they were going to make um, uh, improve the legislative uh, protection for OKUs. And then we also have the PN manifesto that uses Kelainan Upaya. Mm. Uh, our, our community generally prefer to use uh, orang kurang upaya, mm-hmm. which is the reality, and not uh, sugarcoating um, the realities of what um, the barriers that we live with, and that's also in our Akta OKU that was passed in Parliament. Mm-hmm. So they will be our representatives in Parliament, and some of them are already representative um, in previous administrations. Mm-hmm. So by them using the Kelana Upaya. That shows that they are not thinking of us. Um, even our caretaker minister mm-hmm. in charge of OQ affairs is in PM. <laughs> so um, this shows that she failed to understand and support our views, our rights, um, and views us as only worthy of welfare assistance and photo ops mm-hmm. instead of meaningfully including us in communities. Mm-hmm. For example, when our community advocates protested about GKMPA, the former, former minister wouldn't even meet them in person to understand why we're against it. And then the PM candidate for PM mm-hmm. is the former uh, prime minister, right? Mm-hmm. And he's also the chairman of the National Recovery Council. So in 2020, I believe, um, he posted a message in conjunction with International Day of Persons with Disabilities saying that... Um, he is proposing for JKM monthly assistance um, to be increased to 1,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, persons with disabilities are included in this group of people who will benefit from the increase. He also said that he will make sure that the, that the proposal is implemented immediately. And this was in 2020. It's now in 2022. Janji tinggal janji. 
So I'm. Uh, we know manifestos and um, generally um, it's a commitment by them, and mm. we want to take it seriously, lah. So um, I also look at the BN manifesto. So they don't have a specific commitment for OKU. Mm. And if I could jump in here and just recap some of the things, right? So Pakatan Harapan's uh, manifesto um, had a section on enhanced support for persons with disabilities. Um, that included things like what you mentioned, and it, you know, um, appointment of a PWD commissioner in Suhakam, setting up a PW department or agency, um, improving accessibility in line with universal design standards, um, special allocation for PWD education. Then, of course, we look at um, Perikatan National's um, manifesto. They also had a segment on empowering persons with disabilities, um, things like increased participation in the national development agenda, mandating OKU-friendly facilities, um, a similar um, point there with PH, um, improving community rehab centres, free assistive devices for university students from lower-income families, um, and also polishing their potential through tertiary education training, business funding, and also programs for OKU athletes um, and then of course Barisa National is sort of on the lower end in terms of um, what they've promised um, there was no specific mention of OKUs in the manifesto but they included uh, two points on um, empowering the function and capabilities of NGOs um, which operate care centres for the elderly and disabled through a monetary allocation as well as another monetary allocation of 10 million to provide travel vouchers for the disabled via e-hailing services. So those are sort of the what we see from now in terms of their manifesto. Do you think that having a, you know, in the past we had the late Karpal Singh, but if Dr. Noraisha wins her seat, right, do you think having a PWD MP will make a difference? Yes, because there will be someone in parliament who is speaking as one of us. Mm-hmm. And she will have the lived experiences or someone with, uh, who was disabled dari lahir lah, kan? So, it's very much uh, about understanding the realities of OKUs because um, whenever we, um, some some friends of mine do talk to uh, politicians and um, they always find it um, surprising that uh, we know about certain um, acta, certain legislations as if, as if we can't read. Come on. Um, I think that the general public, including policymakers, do not really view us as persons with rights. Um, unfortunately, we tend to be used as photo ops. Um, but I know that certain representatives do um, listen to us, do want to engage with us. But uh, it's very few. Anit, what about you? You know, do you think that having a PWD uh, uh, MP will make a difference? I actually think that as long as you have MPs, even if they're not PWDs, but who are aware of PWD rights mm-hmm. and can be the voice of PWDs, that would make a difference. Mm. Um, I would be very excited to have an uh, MP who is a PWD only because it shows inclusion and um, there would be a person there. So we have a senator in Dewan Negara um, who is a PWD, so it would be equally good to have one in the Dewan Rakyat. But if you have um, MPs or ministers or politicians who understand PWD issues, that would be equally effective. Um, it took somebody who understood PWD issues to put Paralympians and Olympian sports person on the same level. Mm-hmm. 
we need more people like that. Mm. We 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 need them to speak up, um, and if there are laws like under Section Thirty of the PWD Act, there has to be access to information, communication, and technology. Yana spoke about how so many of um, the things that are put out there are not accessible. Um, like for the election, I think there was a, a discussion among the uh, PWD groups that to even check under the SPR uh, website on mm-hmm. where you can go to vote mm-hmm. and which Saloran, that, ex- that, that website was not very accessible to, or it wasn't in the accessible format for the blind. Now, that is something that could have been done. That is a right that is enshrined in Section 30. Yet, for something so fundamental as to a person with disability exercising their constitutional rights, it was not prioritised. If only someone had just looked into that and said, hey, we need to do this, every vote counts, and everybody should be given an opportunity to exercise their constitutional right. So um, it, it takes somebody just to have a check and balance on, on saying, let's do this, let's do this the way it's supposed to be. Mm. And I want to sort of close off our conversation by turning now to reforms and changes, right? If we start with the legal reforms, Anit, what would you like to see being prioritised, um, you know, for the next government when it comes to improving um, protection of rights of persons with disabilities? Okay, so I'm going to first refer you to this uh, OKU Rights Matter report, which is on the on the website, right? www.okurightsmatter.com That is the first report uh, or a survey done on um, what people think. Um, so there were 710 participants, what what people want. They want accessible um, employment for PWDs, they want accessible education, and they also want um, the strengthening of the PWD Act. So those legal reforms are very important. Malaysia has not even submitted a country report ever since ratifying the UNCRPD in 2010. We're 12 years late. That report would be to report to the UN that, hey, these are the efforts we have taken since we ratified to include the provisions of the CRPD and harmonise it with our domestic legislation, i.e. our PWD Act 2008. That report has not even been tendered. There's a lot to be done. It, It has to be done and it has to be done without delay. We've had so many elections since 2010 Mm -hmm. and yet this has never moved. Um, you know, it's not moved at the political level. It's not moved at the ministry level. Uh, I don't know why it was never prioritised. I think now with there being a larger um, group of people who know that disability is a real thing, it could happen to us, it could happen to us in old age, it could happen to anybody. I think we need to make sure that we plan ahead and nobody is left behind. Hmm. And for you, Yana, what would you like to see being prioritised in terms of policies or reforms um, to better support and empower people with disabilities in Malaysia? Yeah, the first thing we need to do is to remove sections 41 and 42 from the OKU Act mm-hmm. and to um, properly review and meaningfully um, uh, revamp our OKU Act so that we are actually included. Uh, the recent um, review of uh, ACTA Kerja uh, did not include um, 
protection against discrimination for uh, for OKUs. So that means that um, it's fine if our employers bully us. <laughs> so so there's a lot that people miss. Um, and then uh, I I just like to add on to what Anit said about uh, in Parliament, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's Dewan Rakyat and Dewan Negara. So now at the moment, um, we only have a, a single representative in Dewan Negara. Mm-hmm. In Senator Rasaliba. Yes. yes. Um, and then, um, in Dewan Rakyat, it's usually for um, politicians who won elections, right? So, my question is, why does the DASA 1% for OKUs uh, are not included in parliament? Like, why do we not have Senator OKUs in Dewan Rakyat? And do they really think a single loan senator is enough um, in Dewan Negara? Um, and also, um, one of the uh, manifesto for PH, the enhanced support for PWDs should not be about support, it's about empowerment. Mm-hmm. It should be about uh, empowerment and enhanced support. It cannot be just support because that's welfare-based, right? This, this is a bit weird because we already have a PWD department, so I'm not sure why it's in the manifesto. Mm-hmm. But what should be done is that um, they need to elevate the PWD department to the same hierarchy as women's and welfare department. Currently, the JPOKU is under JKM. Mm-hmm. So that just increases the bureaucracy issues and delays. Um, if it's elevated, right, then JPOKU will be more empowered than it is right now. And um, I would like to propose that OKU ombudsmans to be included in every ministry and agency, similar to having SPRM officers in most, most ministries. Because if you just put uh, JPOKU in one ministry, you still need um, people who understand our rights, uh, what we need in other ministries. Like, pergi JPJ, we want to find out how do we get a license. You know, a driving license uh, for a physically disabled person. Usually, what we get is you need to go to NGO law, you need to go there, you need to go. They don't really know the answer to that. So, if you have an ombudsman, you know, in each agency, each ministry, we it will save a lot of heartache, I guess, because um, very hard physically and mentally for us to have to fight against barriers that we face every single day every single um, new step that we need to do. Yana, I'd just like to add to that. I think it's not just the barriers, it's the red tape. It doesn't just apply to a PWD and OKU, it applies to the caregivers as well. Mm. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at a larger pool. You're not just looking at the PWDs. Most of them have caregivers. Um, some people give up their job to be caregivers to PWDs. And this has an impact not just on the PWDs but their families and their caregivers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you, you need to to cut that red tape. I completely agree with, uh, with Yana on the ouster clauses, section 41 and 42, um, but it's, it's more than that. It's about giving them a place to air their grievances if they could be a tribunal mm-hmm. where they could go and lodge their grievance and somebody, the same way we have a housing tribunal, when the housing developers don't um, comply with the law, why can't we have one for PWDs? 
make it accessible for them. You know, COVID has taught us how Zoom can can do so much. We we are on Zoom today. We mm-hmm. we can do so much on Zoom. Issues can be resolved. So if a tribunal then makes an order, something needs to be done, something needs to be rectified, there there is a place for them to air their grievances. Mm. There's so much more to be done, you know, and so much more that we can talk about, that I can talk about to both of you. But unfortunately, we are running out of time. Um, So thank you both so much for joining me today, Yana and Anit. Thank you, Suhan. Thank you, Suhan. Thank you for having us. I've been speaking to Yana Karim, co-founder of Bole Space, and Anit Korandawa, member of OKU Rights Matter and Harapan OKU Law Reform Group, about the changes and reforms that are needed to better support and importantly empower persons with disabilities in Malaysia, not just in GE15 manifestos, but beyond as well. I'm Lim Suen, and this has been Health and Living, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.